Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning, OCC. Uh, my name is Daniel Carey, and my wife Katie and I, we are small group leaders here at OCC. I'm excited to be sharing with you today. Uh, pastor Josh, our senior pastor, would normally speak, uh, but he is actually at a wedding uh, in Tennessee uh, right now, and so he'll be back next week. Um, we've been in an exciting message series entitled Mountains, Valleys, and the Moments in Between. And uh, we've been looking in this series at the life of Jesus, and it's been a fascinating look at how Jesus was uh, he was unique and he was powerful, uh, and he gave people insight into otherworldly things, into heaven. He would take people up the mountain, give them a new perspective, and then bring them back down the mountain and help them apply that perspective to their lives. Uh, what's incredible uh, about the passages we're about to look at today is that uh, in Jesus' ministry, which only lasted three years, he was able to accomplish so much when working with people. Uh, he was able to, in three years before his death, he was able to start a movement that would grow to consume the whole earth. And that would include millions and possibly billions of people who have made Jesus the boss of their lives. And he did all that in a very short window of time. So we're going to look at the unique way in which Jesus challenged people. He helped people grow. You know, since we've been talking about mountains in this series, I thought it'd be appropriate to share what is, I think, my best and my worst mountain hiking story. It's all in one. Uh, when I first started coming to OCC, uh, I, I was trying to take God seriously, and I wanted to grow, so I joined a training program, and it turned out to be a pretty intense training program. Uh, it, it was led by a guy named Bruce Wood. You might recognize that name. Uh, Bruce is the senior pastor of Valley Lights Church, which we launched out last year, and he was a very challenging leader to me. And one of the ways he challenged me is when we got to the end of our first semester of this training program, he turned this group of guys, six six guys in this group, and he said, hey, let's celebrate uh, by going on a hike. <laughs> and that sounded interesting. That sounded good. Uh, and then uh, he told us, we're going to hike Mount Baldy, which Mount Baldy is 10,000 feet, 10,000 plus feet. So uh, I think the most I'd done up to that point was Mount Rubido, uh, which is uh, way less than that. So I was wondering, should I... Should I train for this, or am I ready for this? I was not ready for this. I should have trained. Uh, but we, we set out to climb this mountain, and I, you, know, you, you picture mountains as being just uh, beautiful and serene, and you think of like the cool, crisp air, and I was just experiencing none of that. I was having the hardest time. I was just sweating profusely, uh, probably smelled terrible, just dusty and dirty, and I think all of us in the group were having a hard time. I was having especially a hard time hiking this mountain. And uh, we, we got about halfway up, and we were all just you know, wiped out, sitting down, trying to catch our breath. And Bruce Wood, who's he's a great hiker, uh, he, you know, he, he looked at all of us and he said, You know, man, I think that part of being a man is pushing through when you feel pain. <laughs> and I think all the guys in the group, we just kind of looked at each other like, well, I guess we can't go back now. I guess, I guess we got to finish the hike. So we kept going and uh, it, it was a tough hike, but we finally made it to the top. And here's the view. Take a look at this picture. 
um, this is not my picture. I didn't take this because I never saw this view. I was just face down in the dirt from exhaustion. Uh, I was I was pretty well spent by the time we finished the hike. Uh, but take a look at this picture. This is a picture of all of us that made it up the mountain. You might recognize some of those guys. Um, I look back on that hike fondly now, at least now that I made it back down the mountain and recovered <laughs> all these years later. Uh, I look back fondly on that hike because uh, it typified how Bruce really challenged me. He challenged me physically, but there are other ways he challenged me spiritually, and I'll share more on those a little bit later. But I wonder if you've ever had a leader like that. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had a leader that challenged you in a good way, uh, really brought the best out of you, uh, took you to another level you didn't know that you were signing up for, perhaps. Maybe you had uh, a great teacher in in school or you had a great coach, uh, someone who really uh, took you to another level that you didn't know you could you could move to. Uh, well, we're going to look at a chapter in John, John chapter 6, in which Jesus challenged a large group of people. In fact, he challenged a large group of people and then a group of, a large group of his disciples and then his core disciples. He challenges each of these groups of people. And we're going to see how Jesus did this. Uh, now, John, the book of John, is very different than the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John wrote his book, his Gospel, with the perspective, with the purpose of wanted to make sure people understood who Jesus was. He wanted them to understand that Jesus was God and that we could have an experience, eternal life in him. And so he talks a lot about signs. Uh, and so sometimes the book of John is called the book of signs uh, because it's filled with these signs that Jesus performed that point to Jesus as being God. And so we're going to look at one of those signs in this passage. Um, these signs are meant to point us to the truth uh, and make sure we don't miss it, who Jesus really is. Uh, now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, we're in the third year, the very beginning of the third year of Jesus' ministry. Uh, this is the last year. In a few months, Jesus is going to hang on a cross and he's going to die and be raised again. Uh, Jesus is uh, hes shifting the focus of his ministry from proclaiming broadly to large groups of people to uh, really focusing in on the people that are going to carry the mission forward after he's gone. Um, in this passage, uh, Jesus is preaching from the side of a mountain. He goes up, part up a mountain. He preaches down to a group of uh, 5,000 plus people. This is a very large group. These people have traveled from all over the area uh, to hear this Jesus preach. And uh, what's interrupting the teaching is actually they, they all got hungry and they all needed food. And the, the village nearby is, is too small to accommodate all of them. So Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he multiplies this bread and fish into enough food for 5,000 people, which is incredible. This is an incredible sign. Uh, Jesus is saying that he can provide. You know, last week, Josh mentioned that uh, Jesus in his ministry demonstrated that he had power over sickness. He had power over nature. Uh, he had power over the demonic. Well, in this passage, we see Jesus has power over food. He has the power to provide uh, in, in an incredible way. Uh, and he was showing that not only could he provide, he could also provide us with eternal life. That's what he's hinting at. That'll come later. Uh, unfortunately, the crowd, they, they take this the wrong way. What happens is they realize that Jesus is powerful, and they try to use his power for their own means. So they, they say, hey, we, let's make Jesus a king uh, or you know, a local king or a local politician. Uh, let's make him our leader for this political movement, perhaps. And uh, Jesus refuses. He actually withdraws up the mountain. Uh, and he, he flees from this group of people. Uh, he's not willing for them to make him a politician or a local king. Um, 
this is kind of strange because if you think Jesus is trying to start a movement, you know, the disciples have the, the 12 disciples have signed on to help Jesus launch this this movement. And it seems like it'd be really helpful to have some kind of political power. You know, wouldn't it be good to be a, a local king or, you know, a local politician, have, have a little bit more sway? I mean, these 5000 people are behind him if he wants to do what they want him to do. Uh, but Jesus won't settle for that. Jesus is not willing to become a politician. Um, this might have been confusing for the disciples. Um, so Jesus withdraws, and then let's look at what happens next. Um, the crowd, they find him a day later. They're searching for him for a whole day, and this crowd, perhaps not all of them, but a, a large group of people, they find him at the local synagogue the next day. Let's take a look at John six twenty-five. It says this, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Notice right away, they call him Rabbi. Now, that's an interesting term because rabbi means teacher uh, at this time. And that would be like us calling someone professor or prof. Uh, that might be a term of, of honor uh, to call someone uh, a professor or teacher. Uh, but Jesus does not accept this title. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus rejects this title of rabbi, uh, and he immediately points out that they're missing the sign. They're missing the signs. They all saw this miracle of feeding the 5,000, uh, and they know that Jesus can do miraculous, incredible things. Uh, and Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. The point is that I come from God. Uh, I'm approved by God to provide eternal life. Um, so, so far we've noticed that he, he refuses to be appointed as a king. He refuses to be a rabbi to these people. So the passage continues in verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This crowd uh, a day earlier had seen Jesus perform this incredible miracle, but they're, they're asking for another sign today. Uh, it wasn't enough for, for what they saw yesterday. They want another sign. Uh, they're, they're trying to fit Jesus into this box of prophet. They're trying to fit into the same box that Moses fit in. And Jesus, again, refusing to get into the category they're building for him. Uh, they tried to make him a king. They tried to make him a rabbi. They tried to make him out to be a prophet and saying, I'm not just going to do signs. The signs point to a truth, which is that I come from God. Um, now, this, this back and forth continues throughout this passage. And you see a tension building between what this crowd wants from Jesus and what he's, he's trying to focus their attention on. And, you know, imagine for a minute what, what this was like for the disciples to watch this back and forth. Uh, they might have been wondering, why, why doesn't Jesus just give them what they want? He has the power to perform another sign. Why can't he just prove again, hey, I, I am from God. Here, let me do another sign or another miracle. Um, or why, why is Jesus being so argument, argumentative with this group? Why, why is he really forcing this issue now? Uh, wouldn't it be better to just, you know, kind of placate these people, let, let them feel okay about the truth that he's sharing, and then maybe circle back to this a little bit later when they're not as offended or things aren't as tense? Uh, but this is the way that Jesus chooses to work with these people. Uh, Jesus said that he, he comes from God, and he has the keys to eternal life. Um, 
and so he says this explicitly. He says, I, I have the ability to give you eternal life. And then he, he uses an analogy that will make sense to these people. He tries to uh, use an analogy to further bring out this truth, make sure they don't miss the sign. So here's what he says in verse, in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, uh, given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. You know, for those of us who have tasted this bread, this eternal life, uh, this passage is incredibly hopeful. Uh, Jesus is promising he's not going to lose us. Uh, he's going to hold on to us tight until the last day. And, you know, there are days when I, I really feel like, you know, I've messed up or I've fallen short uh, of God's standards. And, and I can feel like God's pretty tired of me. <laughs> he must want to get rid of me at this point, right? Uh, Jesus says he's going to hold on to us until the final day. Uh, we have total security in him. Uh, the key question is, is are you a, a real follower of Jesus? There were a lot of fans in this in this crowd of people that are flocking to Jesus for signs or for making him a politician or trying to get a good moral teacher or a rabbi or, or even trying to seek a prophet. Um, but they didn't they didn't really follow him. They didn't commit to him. Jesus is certain that he's not he's not any of those things. He's actually asserting that he's from heaven and he holds the keys to eternal life. Uh, he's asking these people to make him lord of their lives. Uh, we place so much hope in each of these categories. It's, it's strange enough. We, we place a lot of hope in politicians. We place a lot of hope in, in wise teachers or uh, philosophers, perhaps. Uh, and we place a lot of hope in, in prophets. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm all that and more. I'm actually, I am, I am God. I'm Jesus. I'm God in the flesh. And so a point to draw out from this is that Jesus is not who we want uh, but who we need. He's not who we, we want him to be or what we make him out to be. He is who he is. Jesus claims to be God, and we have to accept that he claimed that. Uh, picking, picking up the, the passage in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So here, Jesus is actually alluding to his, his death, which is only a few, like I mentioned, a few months away. Uh, Jesus is alluding to him having to die to create a bridge between imperfect people and the perfect God. Uh, the only way for us to experience eternal life is through Jesus. In verse 52, it continues, The Jews then responded among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're missing the sign. They're missing the picture. They're not understanding what Jesus is saying. So Jesus responds. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in him, and I in him. Abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, can, can you imagine how this went over? Uh, these, these people are missing the sign, and Jesus keeps reiterating his message in different ways to try to make sure they don't miss the point. And so uh, at first he says, I can give you eternal life, and they misunderstand. He says, well, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. Uh, and they still they misunderstand. He says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is uh, He's using uh, symbolic language to show them the, the meaning that, of the signs, which is that he is God and he has the power to grant eternal life. He's driving home this point. Um, he's not willing to back down. He's not willing to placate this audience by, by not talking about this truth. He wants to make sure that they understand what he's saying. Uh, and imagine how the disciples felt watching Jesus do this. A, a day ago, there were 5,000 people uh, in in the crowd, ready to make Jesus king, and now Jesus is just slowly but surely whittling away at that number, and he's he's really forcing these people to question, to ask themselves, "Am I willing to make Jesus Lord of my life?" Uh, that might have been confusing for the disciples to watch this this large group get smaller and smaller. Uh, let's continue reading in verse sixty. When many of his disciples heard it, and and by disciples in this passage is talking about the larger group of disciples, not the twelve. Uh, but possibly 70, 100, maybe several hundred disciples who've been following Jesus around for a while. Uh, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is a hard saying. This is a hard saying it is that Jesus is God. This man was fully God and fully man. And Jesus is God. Uh, he is our only Lord and our only way to God. Uh, if it were not for Jesus being God, none of his signs would point to anything. They'd just be incredible miracles that don't really lead us in the direction of truth. Um, all of his works, all of his healings, they've been the works of a good person, but they wouldn't have meant anything more than that. And it's actually the conclusion that a lot of these people leave. So look at verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You know, I wonder, I wonder what life was like for those people that turned back at this point. They didn't, they didn't stick around or press in to, to understand the hard saying. They just thought, this is hard, this is too hard, and they went home. And I, I wonder if years later, you know, their neighbor mentions, like, have you heard of this Jesus guy? And I wonder how they, they responded. They said, yeah, I, I, I listened to Jesus for a while, but you know, he wasn't, he wasn't political enough. You know, he didn't talk about politics enough or, or, you know, I, he didn't do enough miracles. The signs were really incredible and I really wanted to see those, but he didn't do enough of them. Um, or, you know, I really wanted to follow him, but I, I was too busy at home. I, I had to go home. I couldn't, I couldn't keep following him. 
you know, this, this event of all these people leaving Jesus' ministry, it must have been discouraging for the 12 disciples. Uh, the people who left have been following Jesus for a while. It's possible that a lot of them were friends with these disciples. And so these 12 disciples are seeing some of their friends leave and go home and give up on following Jesus. Um, but they were not willing to make Jesus Lord, and so they couldn't stay. Uh, they couldn't stay. Um, they might have agreed with everything Jesus taught, but at the point at which they had to bend the knee to Jesus, they, they weren't willing to do it. Uh, look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, here's how he responds. He turns to the twelve disciples and he says this, Do you want to go away as well? <laughs> Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What an incredible moment. Now we can see what Jesus was up to all along. Peter here is, he's speaking for all these disciples, these 12 disciples, and he's saying that he he wants to make Jesus Lord. He understands that Jesus is God. He recognizes that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's the only way to be saved. Uh, he recognizes uh, the signs point to Jesus as God. Uh, and Peter recognizes, too, that it's worth enduring the hard sayings to stick around and understand more. Uh, he's not willing to pack up and go home uh, because he's offended by something that's being said. Now, you see, this happens all the time <laughs> whenever we encounter God through his word. Um, this happens for us now. Uh, I, I have a mentor. I've heard him say that the Bible has ruined a lot of his good ideas about life. And that is so true. Uh, we are we are imperfect people, and God's word is perfect. And so whenever the two come up against each other, there's going to be friction. There's going to be problems uh, because there are things in my life that don't line up with the truth of Scripture. Um, God's word is perfect in its wisdom. Uh, you know, it's it's really easy to listen to the Bible when I already agree with it. It's the parts that I don't agree with that are harder to read. Those are the hard sayings. Um, it's much harder to read the Bible when it offends you. Uh, but if Jesus truly is the only way to God, there's nowhere else to go. Here's some key points I want to draw from this passage. Uh, first, Jesus was not looking for fans. He was looking for followers. He wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for followers. Uh, it was more important to Jesus that he would have tr 12 true disciples than 5,000 fans. Uh, he would rather 12 people really make him boss of their lives, really make him Lord, uh, than have 5,000 people call him king or rabbi or prophet. Jesus is calling these people to move from listening to living. He's challenging them to make this step. Uh, perhaps this is you. You know, you, you've observed some things about Jesus and you would say, it seems like he was a good teacher or looks like he was a, a good leader or a wise person. He did, he did some good things while he was on earth. You know, he healed some people. It seems like he was, he, he was a force for good. Uh, but all signs point to him being so much more than just that. Uh, my favorite sport, I, I have to confess, is NASCAR. And I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably wondering why. And maybe we can talk about it another time. Uh, but whenever I mention I, I love NASCAR, there's always two things that people say. Uh, and I bet you're thinking of one of them, at least one of them right now. Um, the first is uh, NASCAR. Isn't that just like they just turn left the whole time? Which that's that's deeply offensive. I'm so hurt that you bring that up. Uh, but not, not really, but that is, that is true. They turn left a lot. And the second thing people always say is like, oh, NASCAR. Yeah. They have really cool wrecks, uh, really cool wrecks. Um, 
In fact, some people just watch NASCAR for the wrecks. Here's a picture uh, of a crash, and, and these crashes can be pretty spectacular. This one's a pretty incredible wreck. Uh, everyone was okay uh, from this wreck, but um, the true followers of NASCAR, they, they don't just tune in for the wrecks or for the spectacles or for the, the big uh, crashes. Uh, in fact, the true fans, they don't even spend time in the grandstands. They actually they watch the race from the infield, from the center of the track. Uh, take a look at this picture. These are the real diehards. Uh, these guys aren't going to miss a thing. They're going to watch the whole race. Uh, they're going to see it to the very end. They'll see all the crashes. They will, but they're going to see the, the finish of the race. Uh, they don't want to miss anything. Um, maybe you're feeling challenged right now to move from the grandstands to the infield in regards to Jesus. Uh, you want to move from, from just viewing Jesus' miracles from a distance or just paying attention to the signs, to the wonders, to, to actually moving into making Jesus Lord. And to make that transition, uh, you have to make Jesus Lord of your life. Uh, you know, many in the crowds, uh, they, they probably love seeing the signs and the miracles that Jesus was doing. Um, they probably love getting the free bread and the free fish and the, the fun things about Jesus' ministry. But all these signs that Jesus performed, they pointed to him being something more. They pointed to Jesus being uh, worthy of making our boss. And so here's the second thing that we should notice from this passage is Jesus calls us to a radical dependency on him. Jesus compares himself to bread. And that's an appropriate analogy for who Jesus is for us because we need bread every day. We need food every day. Uh, we can't go very long without food. And Jesus in this passage, passage is saying, what bread is to your body, I am to your soul. We need Jesus that deeply uh, at a soul level. Uh, Returning to Bruce, I want to mention another story about Bruce. Um, he challenged me physically. I mentioned, like, challenged me to get up that mountain. But he also challenged me a lot spiritually. And uh, there, there was, uh, one day there was an, a men's event, and I was serving, uh, and Bruce was serving too. Uh, and I think we were all just cleaning dishes. And I was talking to another friend, and I think I said something that was pretty prideful or arrogant, something about academics and um, Bruce, who was also there, you know, he's my leader. He, he had the freedom to really speak wisdom and truth. I had asked him, please speak truth into my life. And so uh, he turned to me and he said, Daniel, you know your intelligence is a gift from God, right? And my, my gut response was, yeah, I know that. Yeah, of course I know that. <laughs> he was giving me a hard saying. And I took that hard saying and it actually bugged me for a while. I thought about it, I thought about it, and, and I realized... Bruce was right. I was I was being arrogant. No, nothing I have is, is of my own doing. It's all been given by God. Everything I have, in fact, it's God who allows me to think to be able to think about Him. It's Him who's revealed Himself to me. Uh, I don't deserve that. I haven't wrangled that from God. He's given to me freely. And so this truth that Bruce shared was really impactful for me uh, over time. Uh, but I received this truth uh, in the process of just doing life. With, with Bruce, and I was able to grow from this, this shoulder-to-shoulder serving together and just doing life together. Uh, and this is one of the ways in which in which Jesus grew me. Uh, you know, I, I read a lot of books up until that point, um, but it, it was time spent with Jesus and his word and time spent with Jesus' people that really starts to bring out growth. The disciples, they were able to grow so much in a very short period of time because they spent time with Jesus. Uh, they saw how he interacted with the large crowd, with the, the large group of disciples. They saw uh, how he interacted. Um, they heard 
these hard sayings of Jesus, and they stuck around long enough to fully understand them. They, they weren't scared off by the hard sayings. Um, it was in the process of doing life with Jesus that they were truly transformed. Um, and we see that in this passage. This is what Jesus was going for all along. Uh, when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, that's strong language. He's calling us to a radical dependency on him, a closeness that we've never had before. Uh, Jesus wants us to rely on him daily. I want to encourage you to experience transformation by considering one of these next steps uh, to, to apply this passage of John 6 to our lives. Uh, the first is decide on a destination. Jesus really did exist. He really was here, and he was fully God, and he was fully man. And he performed these miraculous signs, and there were at times thousands of witnesses. These are confirmed events that we have accounts for in Scripture. He was more than a political force. He was more than just a moral teacher who taught us how to do nice things for people. He was more than just a, a religious magician or a prophet. He, he is God, and you have to decide what you want to do with that. That's a, a truth that you have to decide. Uh, what are you going to do about Jesus? The signs are clear. They point to Jesus being something more. Uh, don't pack up. Press in. Investigate further. Decide for yourself. Another next step you might consider is joining a serving team. Uh, time with Jesus and time with Jesus' people is what's going to help you grow over time. Uh, and doing life with people leads to opportunities to, to uh, experience growth, uh, to receive truth at the right moments uh, in the flow of life. And so if you're looking to grow, serving is a great opportunity. Uh, we have uh, some serving opportunities actually that were talked about today. Um, but serving allows a lot of that to happen, allow growth to happen. Uh, and then the last next step is commit to getting offended by Jesus by reading John 1 through 7 this week. Uh, read for yourself the hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, allow Jesus' words to, to confront your best ideas about life. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, this account in John that helps us better understand your ministry on earth. Uh, God, I pray uh, for all of us that we would decide what to do with Jesus. Um, the signs are clear. They point to him being Lord, uh, him being worthy of being made our Lord of our lives. Uh, and God, I, I ask you to help people move in that direction to understanding that, to reading the signs and, and looking at Jesus seriously as, as God. Um, I also pray for those of us who have already made Jesus boss that we would experience transformation uh, by, by being in your community and being in your word, uh, that we would grow in the way you want us to grow. Uh, I pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.